will be as follows. In verse 2 it says, And he put the female slaves and their children first, then Leah and her children next, then Rachel and Joseph last. So his brother, when they left and they departed one another, was going to kill him. He was plotting to kill Jacob. As soon as his father died, he was going to kill Jacob. And that's why the moms sent him to Haran to find a wife. So just in case his brother starts killing off his household, he places his family in the order from least important to most important to Jacob. So if we remember, Jacob was paralyzed with fear of his brother because Esau, his brother, was known as a man hunter and a warrior. And his skills was unreal, unmatched. But after wrestling and coming into a deep relationship with Yehovah and being directly blessed, as he, he hung on to the Lord's leg and he said, I need it, you have to bless me all night. He's hanging on with a, now a broken hip, right? He got uh, his socket in the hip pushed in. So he being directly blessed by God, from that point on, he gained courage, even with a limp in his walk. So because he struggled with the Lord, and he actually walked, right? The Lord had grace on him. So now he will really show himself to be a fearless, mighty man of God in the next verse. So all this time, for 20 years, he was paralyzed with fear. Now I know many believers before coming to faith in Yeshua are paralyzed of fear. Many people fear death, or the end of the world, like global warming, or um, many different fears. But once we come into a true saving relationship with Yeshua, we're not only we as believers, we feel that we have a genuine relationship with the Lord, but then the, as believers, we know that God has an actual relationship with us. And then we can overcome many fears. So for me, what was my fear when I was young? My fear was losing my parents. So when I was a small kid, when I was young, I, I was afraid if my parents would die, I couldn't handle it. So I actually called God up and said, hey, but parents die before I'm 18. I'm going to hate you all my life. You know, like a stupid kid. But that's what I said. I was honest. Because what happened, you know, living in Polo Housing, a couple of my friends died. A couple of their parents died. Even my cousins died. My cousins, they lost their parents when they were young. My brother. So when I was young, you know, back then, you couldn't. You didn't have to leave when they lowered a casket and bury it. Back then was crazy. I mean, the family trying to hold onto the casket and then jump inside was was not that big. And I saw the pain, I saw the hurt, and I didn't want to endure that pain. And then I lost my brother when I was seventh grade. There was a phone call in the middle of the early morning, 4:30. Um, Easter morning, seventh grade, we weren't believers in anything. I picked up the call because I, I stayed downstairs and the phone was downstairs. 
Those days you only had one phone that was connected to the wall. And one TV in the living room, so I would stay downstairs and watch TV and fall asleep. So I picked the phone and I said, oh, this, come on, yeah. Uh, it's sad to say, you know, Jimmy Tamale passed away in a car accident. So from that day on, I had a fear of late night telephone calls and early morning phone calls. It was like pretty bad, like, oh, I'm off. Hey, how are you doing, boss? Oh, oh, no, but it's like, I was paralyzed in fear. Then I get married and I had my son, and four months old, he almost died. So my, bro, uh, my son almost died, turned purple on our bed, rushed him to the hospital. So now my fear of death wasn't just for my parents. Now it was for my family, my friends, even strangers. I mean, we would be in the hospital so much that I would be out there trying to play songs for the little kids who, whose parents left them in the hospital. So now, I wanted to help everybody, but I couldn't. I wanted to be able to do something, but I couldn't to help these people. I didn't have no answers or means to help these people until one day I came to know about the love and the grace of Jesus. 25 years ago, with the help of Brother Todd and many other things that happened in my life, I saw the truth and that set me free. I no longer have that fear of death. I still fear for others that might not know him, but now I can do something about it. I have this message that I can share that Jesus is the answer. For I now know and I have this truth and this hope that if delivered this great news of the gospel of Jesus that he died and he buried and after three days rose again and if we believe that and if anybody believes that they have their part in heaven so not only if I share that truth and people respond positively they shall have eternal life and that's the thing Jesus said we will have a more um, abundant life that us guys who like are nobody. I mean, I grew up full of houses. You know, barely had food to eat. And we gotta eat each other's houses. But I mean, that's how it was. But once we share the good news, they have eternal life and they are very good standings with the God and creator of the universe. So for me, from being passive and fearful when it comes to death to being fearless and bold and a bold messenger for the cause of Christ. And I learned that from Brother Todd. You know, Brother Todd, we used to go out everywhere, night and day, and just share the good news. And since then, in my 25 years, many friends and family have come to believe. Now today at work, uh, this He's almost a billionaire, right? He's like a multi-billionaire. He has hotels in Canada and New York City. He just built a brand new 26. You know, he has big money. 
But he went there, he wanted me to hook up his camera that I, they wanted a camera, but they wanted it mounted. So I went there and I did the job and I was leaving and he said, oh Dave, I just want to show you, I'm on dialysis now. He's about, he's about uh, 80 years old, this man. Nice man, but he's uh, a Muslim. And what I noticed is, he didn't feel like he had any hope. So right there, he showed me all his machine and da da da. So his belief is Aga Khan, it's one form of uh, Islam. So I just thought, you know, I love you. Uh, this is our clients, right? I'm telling our clients, I love you. And he said, I love you too, dude. I said, I just want to tell you the truth then. Out of all the world leaders, religious leaders in the world, only Jesus rose again. And he went, yeah, I heard that. I thought, Muhammad, he's still in the grave, you know. Buddha, he's still in his grave, but only Jesus rose again. He says, I know that. So all you got to do, you know you're a sinner, right? You go, yeah, but I tried to live a good life. I said, many people in the Bible tried to live a good life. But Jesus said, no, no, your life, you cannot be good. You have to have lied at least once. You have to have stole a paper clip or somebody's mango off the tree, which I did. I remember I stole a whole, okay, I wanted to tell this one time. I stole a whole, a whole that kind of green banana. tell this man. So if you steal anything, you're guilty. So then he was here saying, oh, I don't want forgiveness. I want to pay. I want to pay for it. I said, you want to pay. You want to pay. I mean, you want to uh, suffer the consequences. So he said, what's the consequences? He said, oh, you heard of hell, right? He went, yeah. So that's not the worst. It gets, it gets worse than hell. So from hell, you will now, if you die, at the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment, you will be resurrected. You will be given back your body. You mean what? Yeah, you will be given back your body because the Bible talks about He's going to throw all of those who don't love you into the lake of fire. Now, you know, we've been to many lakes, right? Lake me, Beyond the Lake, yeah, fun. The lake of fire, no. And that's why the Bible says there'll be weep, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth in the lake of fire. So you gotta have a face, you gotta have facial muscles, you gotta have teeth, you gotta have um, consciousness, and all of this is gonna occur in the fire. So he said, I know only Jesus rose again, but I don't wanna forgive, ask for forgiveness, I wanna pay the price. I said, okay, that's fine for you, but what about your wife, your daughter, and your, the wife, daughter, and the grandkids with them? So you like them paying a price too, even though Jesus paid for them. And he go, oh, let me think about it. <laughs> so I had to leave, but I left with that. And so he tells me, so when do you want to come to Vancouver? Because <laughs> a long time ago, he, he told me, yeah, I'll bring you and your wife to Vancouver and take you to New York City. And you know, in October, I'll have time. And I was like, wow. You know, we're going to have one-on-one -on -one time and we can I know he feels like he's close to death. Prior to that, I mean, when I went there, he said, he told me, he's telling his grandchildren and his daughter, this is David, um, 
He's a strong Christian. <laughs> I don't even say nothing. I'm just doing that, working, amazing stuff. And he's like, that is not for me. You know, I'm a Christian, da da da. And the daughter goes, Oh, you're always smiling, yeah? I said, Yeah, I smile. She goes, You smile because you live in Hawaii. I go, Yeah, that's one of it. But the other thing is, I smile because I've transferred from death unto life. And I know my destiny. So I get them all thinking. So one day, and I'll just pray for them, this Mr. Sayani. You know, a little side note, come to find out. He knows Kani Fernandez, long time. I didn't know that, we were talking one night. And I was like, oh, you know my dad, he worked at, oh, Pops, yeah. So it was funny, he knew my dad, like he lives in Canada. He just comes once, two times a year. So just like Jesus' disciples, they went from hiding and being afraid of the public, and they became bold witnesses for Christ, and even unto death for the message of the cross. So now Jacob, who was once fearful for his life, now takes the lead and has overcome the fear of death at the hands of his brother. So he lined up the array, the, the, the slave wives, the wife he didn't like that much, and the wife he loved, in that order, and he was in the back. But now, it says here in verse 3, he himself passed on before them. So he went in the front. He wasn't hiding out in the back like previous, previously when he sent the animals. And he bowed down to the ground seven times until he came to his brother. <laughs> he didn't expect his brother to come out that quickly. So he's bowing, he sees his brother and all of a sudden after seven bowels, his brother is right there. Now this is an ancient Middle Eastern culture, even Asian culture. I know going to Japan, long time ago, we went to Japan, and Sulu and whatnot. You go there and everybody's bowing to you, it's pretty cool. And they're always um, inviting you into the stores. They're the shine us in, right? They really um, want to connect with people, and that's one thing I like about the Japanese culture. They're humble, they like to connect with people, and they cook good food. That's, that's the only reason why I like go back to Japan. The food is like incredible, exquisite actually. Even the street vendors, I mean, the food is, hey, you get Hawaiian dinner, son in law. So Jacob is here being all formal in his meeting protocol of the customs, but his brother Esau abandons all of these formalities in verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him embraced him and fell upon his neck and kissed him and they wept so for all the years of not knowing what happened to each other it was like lost years yeah i know we never see certain family members for years so my niece we, i didn't see her for over 20 years my niece and she left because of religion her mom and dad were um, jehovah witness and they were cruel, it was like unreal. So she left, and then she she been wanting to come back for the past ten years, but nobody wanted to bring her back. I didn't know she wanted to come back. So this year we caught wind that she wanted to come back. We helped her come back, and you now she's living with us and her daughter. She accepted Jesus, 
we just unpacking all of the garbage that was put there by the Jehovah Witness organization, but she's doing well, she quit smoking, she's not doing drugs, her daughter is in a private school, free tuition. The Lord is good. I can go there. I help at the school. I fix stuff for them, and I don't charge them. I just said, thank you guys. I just say, give back. You know. Oh, she cooked tonight. So my brother Tony told me to the mom and dad called us on Tuesday to go to their house for dinner. We stayed there to like dinner. He needs synagogue, that's why he called. So we went there and told my wife how to make it. So my niece made the synagogue there. So all of the years they were apart, just thinking about how they missed each other. But each maturing over the years brought them to this place of sibling ingrained love. You know that connection that you have? Which brought about this emotional reunion. And when I read in the scriptures, I can feel this, this love for the brothers. Even though my brother had passed when I was seven and I, I was sad and hurt, I don't have an older brother, but now I have brothers in Christ, you know, who almost seem closer than my real brother. So after the brothers hugged it out and exchanged these heartfelt love and crying, Esau gathers himself and composes himself and is now ready to meet the rest of his brother's Ohana, which in actuality is his Ohana. One of the things the rabbis teach about this particular instance is when he kissed him, the Hebrew is Vayishachem, which means to kiss or pay homage. What the rabbis teach is that Esau bit but yeah. so they didn't want that to be a good thing it might be a negative thing but we believe what Torah says and Torah says he kissed him so verse 5 then Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children and he says who are these with you and he says the children whom Elohim has graciously given your servant so what Jacob does here? He gives glory to God. For all his blessings, he realized that God was with him from the beginning, in the womb, all the way up to this point. And just like us, we all should glorify God and give Him praises for all He has done in and through our own lives. So I know we were like party animals before. I mean, my daughter grew up in a bar. You know what I mean? We'll be out in the barn. They'll have a little room on the side or sit in the... We just partied all night long. So we just saw my daughter on Sunday, and she goes, okay, I don't want my daughter to grow up in bars. <laughs> I was like, you turned out okay, right? <laughs> but praise the Lord for his uh, mercies. Yeah? So Jacob comes in humility again, calling himself your servant. But in actuality, Jacob has the hierarchy. He has the preeminence because he had the blessings, not only from his dad, but also from God. So now they will meet Esau in the order set by Jacob. So first in verse 6, 
Then the female slaves drew near, they and their children, and they bowed down. Second in verse 7, it says, Then Leah and her children drew near and bowed down. So now Leah, again, she was not Jacob's first choice, right, at all. But Uncle Laban used a so-called custom of the day that the older daughter must be married off before the younger daughter. And I guess he didn't see the fine print. So thirdly, it says, and afterward, Joseph and Raquel drew near and they bowed down. So Jacob's actual wife that he actually desired to marry and his son, Joseph. And verse 8 says, and he said, what do you mean by all this company that I have met? And he said, to find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So what is Esau talking about? Esau means that when I first met, I was first met along the way by these five uh, herds, with five herdsmen, with five flocks who came in about an hour apart. Because I was like, whoa, everybody's coming in apart. So first, the group of goats had 220 calling. Second, the rams and the ewes. Third, the camels, fourth, the cattle, and fifth, the donkeys. So there were 580 livestock. So he had over 2,000 animals in his horde. And again, in chapter 32, while he was going up to Hebron, he said all he had was the staff in his hand. Just like Moses, right? Moses, all he had was the staff. And just like Moses, he made his own exodus from Haran back to Canaan. All he had was that, but when he came back to his homeland, he is now crossing back that same river, but the Bible says he meod, meod, very, very wealthy. So he became very wealthy working for his uncle. So the gifts was to bless his brother, one thing. The second thing was as the Hawaiians say, Ho'omalimali. Ho'omalimali. Look it up. Ho'omalimali means to flatter. Or the attempt to secure one's favor by flattering. You know how they say rub somebody the right way so you can partner or curry the right favor? So it was both. It was both that he loved his brother, but he said that I might find favor in your sight. So verse 9, then Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have. So Esau is doing two things here. First, he's showing humility, but also this was a custom of the day to deny a gift at first. Remember earlier, this is what happened? But at the second offer, when it's re-offered, the gift will be accepted. So in verse 10, and Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your eyes, you must take my gift from my hand. For then I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have received me. What does he say? He said, my brother, I have seen the face of God. And I'm glad that you did not kill me so that I might see the face of God again right now. But just as I was blessed by seeing the face of God, and I bless the Lord, now that I see your face, and how you show love and care towards me, I want to bless you also. Because you did not extinguish me 
But the passage said, you receive me. So he's very thankful. So verse 11 says, Jacob is speaking, please take et bikati. It's please take my gift or my blessing. Now he's talking about that patriarchal blessing that he had received earlier. The thing that I was blessed with, the patriarchal blessing with you gave to me, which you gave up, I want to share some of that with you. Which has been brought to you, for God had dealt graciously with me, and because it says, yes, we call. Yes, we call means I have enough, I have all, or I have beyond anything that I would ever need. And he urged him, so he took it. So Esau now, understanding that he wants to bless me, he takes the gift freely. Then in verse 12, he said, let us journey and go on. So he wants to go together. Let us journey and go on, and I will go ahead of you. So he's like, okay, brother, let us go and travel together, and I'll go on ahead and lead the way and make sure it's safe for you and your ohana, your family, let's go. <laughs> verse 13. Ah, he goes, brother, uh, but he said to him, my Lord, sorry, you know that the children are frail and slow, and the flocks and the cattle which are nursing are a concern to me. Now if I drove them hard for days and days, all the flocks would die. So in one sense, this is, this is all true. On the other hand, this is what I think. If he hung out with his brother, who at one time wanted to kill him, and they end up feasting together, which brothers normally do. Hey, let's party. My brother's back. They start kicking him back. Esau gets drunk. He's angry, you know. Yeah, now he's like, wow, I remember you stole my blessing. And then, you know, things change. So I think it was a double thing. Like, I don't really want to hang with you, bro. So Jacob is thinking, Jacob could, I could be putting everyone at risk here. So 14 says, let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will move along slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Seir is all the way south. So he said, you go ahead, I'll go at my pace and I'll meet you in your hometown in Seir when I get there. So verse 15, he's probably like, okay, what else can I do for my brother? He says, and Esau said, let me leave some of my warriors with you, my people with you. But he said, for what? I can get there. I'm a big boy. Let me find favor in your eyes, my brother. I don't need them. So he wanted to leave some of his men to escort him. But instead, Jacob kindly refused the offer. And I guess at this point, we saw talk to him. Okay, I guess I'll take your word in. I'll see you later. Verse 16, so Esau turned that day on his way to Seir. So the, what the rabbis teach is that they use, using the book of Obadiah, that Jacob will meet Esau one day in Seir in the Messianic kingdom. That's what the rabbis teach. So verse 17, but Jacob traveled on to Sukkot. And he built for himself a house, and he built shelters for his livestock. Therefore, he called the name of the place Sukkot. 
So while Esau is headed south, Jacob went west. <laughs> so where he built his house, he built a house, a bait, and he built sukkahs for the animals. Like, you know sukkahs, they make the very airy for the animals. So he made sukkahs for the livestock. So the rabbis teach that he stayed in sukkah for 18 months. Probably, probably not. But he built a house there, so that takes some time. But in actuality, he probably wanted to remain outside of the promised land for a longer period of time. We don't know why. And we don't know what made him leave. Just leave his house and his sukkahs. And he left it and he headed to the promised land in Shechem. Verse 18. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan in Canaan, on his way from Padar Malam. And he camped before the city. So here now he comes out of Haran and he goes into the promised land, into Shechem. Now in Shechem, he has no rights. That's why he has to stay on the outside of the city to pitch his tent. That's where all soldiers go, or strangers. You gotta hang out outside because they have no rights in the city. So Jacob is still far north, northernmost in Israel, and the father is like three quarters south of Israel. But still, he, he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to go home. Anybody have that problem when you get older, you don't want to go home and sit right by your parents? Nobody, right? Everybody wants to go home, right? So he remains in Shechem and he stays there. So he brought a piece of land where he pitched his tent for 100 pieces of money from the hand of the sons of Hamor, father of Shechem. So what happens now, he buys this plot of land and eventually, this will turn out to be a bad relationship with him between Jacob and Shechem. And finally, verse 20, it says, And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So Jacob, his father, so Jacob himself, just like his father and grandfather Abraham, built an altar every time they had met with Yehovah. And he named the place, the name of this place literally means God, the gods of Israel. El is God, Elohe is the plural of gods or gods of Israel. So El is singular, Elohe is plural. So what does it mean? There is one God who is revealed in two or more personages, which is the triune nature of God. And this is the first time that he uses the name Israel. Because when they were wrestling, the Lord gave him a new name, Israel, because he struggled and contended with God. So is Jacob hanging out in Shechem, still wrestling with Elohim? Because he's not doing what Elohim called him to do. He called him to go back home. Don't we all as believers wrestle with God as believers to some degree? We all do. But we gotta stop. Right? Some people know who we are talking to. We just gotta stop. I mean, 
Life is so much easier when we open up to God and say, I'm open, do what you want. Now in today's climate, we were talking earlier, in society today, they have lost sight that there is a God to answer to. We have taken a reliance on God out of our society today. We have taken the Bible out of the school system, so children are taught that they evolved from animals and they have no real purpose in life and there's nothing after death. Human life has no meaning. And what we see is this rank hypocrisy. Again, we talked about we do not want to separate children from their parents at the border. But when it comes to the most endearing environment, a mother's womb, they kill the babies at an alarming rate. Alarming rate. We introduce vile alternatives to the biblical model of man and wife. We have devalued human life. We have left the morals and values that the Bible offers. And so we have murders at a high level today. Like we talked about there was over, I don't know, 50 killings. And three people killed 50 people. That's nothing compared to the inner cities. Thousands in Baltimore. Chicago, everywhere. Thousands of murders a year, but with the babies, the abortion rate, 1.2 million a year. Wow. What we have to do is pray for our country. I know the Hawaiian model is about to end in the form of the life of the land. It's to be perpetuated in righteousness. So we gotta do something, because we have the truth, right? So I got this email that there's a <clears throat> candidate and campaign training tomorrow, a seminar from nine to five at Nauru Tower. I had signed up for that. I don't know, I was like, I don't know how much it was, I forget, 30 bucks, 30 bucks. I don't know, I wanna do something. I don't know what it is, I don't know why I'm going. But I just had this prompting to go. So pray for me and see what the Lord has um, in store for me, for us, for what we will do. There's some crazy people representing Hawaii. And for me, I'm kind of ashamed being on Hawaii. All we see on the national stage is crazy people representing Hawaii. So I just went there, my heart opened, you know, your will be done. I'm not going to run away. I know you told me to go someplace do something, so I'm going. And that's that. Right on. <laughs> I have to say something else. Oh, yeah. So uh, we use this facility. So this facility came about because they used to come to the ranch, this church. And then. Um, when the ranch got shut down, they asked if we could have our Friday night Bible study service under them over here in English. I said, yeah, sure. So they said to remind us that we are under their agape um, banner and insurance. So when we're here, we're under agape for many years. Just want to meet you. If somebody asks you over here, 
This is Veranda Adopted Bible Study. And Sunday is Shabli's birthday. She will be 27. And it's been a blessing having her. And you know, it's been a blessing having the baby in house. I never have a baby in house. Long time. So it's so beautiful to have a baby in my house that I think. Our dangerous house. Yeah. He's dangerous. We have to keep all our eyes on the 20 people for picking up. <laughs> so let us pray. And as we pray, oh, and tonight's hala, since my wife wasn't feeling good today, the hala bread was made by Shabli. So Shabli made the hala and my niece made the synagogue. synagogue. So I just love it how the God puts things together and it works awesome. I'm blessed. So let us pray and as we pray, let us focus on what Jesus has done in our life and let us reflect on the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the names of the places that mean so much. So much detail about it in your word. Just like the Hawaiians, when our words and our names have meaning but death, but nothing compared to any end. The face of God. It's part the watchtower. The camp of God. Father, continue to use us in ways that we don't know and we, we don't understand. But you do. So give us a vision, Lord, that we need. And help us, Lord, to be bold for your, for your service. These words that you've given us, Lord, can change lives, Lord. They can pass from death unto life, Lord. And once you've given us that eternal life which we believe, we can now live this abundant life. So thank you so much for your love to us. In Yeshua's name.